You're listening to The Scrimmage with Daniel Hargrove and Justin Domashevitz. What? What is going on? Oh, anyway, I'm Daniel Hargrove. You're welcome to the scrimmage. I... <laughs> you went so crazy there that my Skype call like freaked out and it didn't know how to register the noises you were making. <laughs> but obviously that's Daniel Hargrove. I'm Justin Domashevitz. And well, producer Andrew is gone this week. Yep, so producer when the producer's producer... away, the hosts will play. Yes. We're going to talk Tar Heels football, Uh-oh. and we're going to do a special all-NBA version of the two-minute drill. Wait a second. Is that is that what that means? <laughs> I'm not sure if Andrew... Uh, yes, it is. Is Andrew yeah, the only is. person who objects to this? Let's go, let's go, let's go. Hold up. Gotta hurry, gotta hurry, gotta hurry. Hey, two-minute situation. 44 seconds. Hand the ball to the ref. Gun duel right, gun duel right. Three jet Buckeye on one. The two-minute drill starts now. All right, Justin, go for it. Daniel, your Portland Trailblazers have the 16th pick in the NBA draft, which is scheduled for Wednesday. Is there a specific player or position that the Blazers should be targeting? Oh, man, that is an excellent question. I still think that they have yet to find the true wing that can actually get it done for them. They have drafted a couple of players who they're hoping can do that uh, or gotten a couple of players, a la Camarillo Anthony, when he slimmed down. And I'm not sure how long he's going to be a high-level player anymore, or even if he still is. But it was sure fun to watch him. I think Nasir Little might be that guy that can grow into that. But if they have an opportunity to pick up a true wing player, I think that'd be great. And shoot, with all the big man injuries that they've had, another big man might not be a bad idea. But I wouldn't put that high on the priority list. Houston Rockets star James Harden is reportedly open to being traded, and the Brooklyn Nets are the top of his list of potential destinations. Justin, how would Harden fit in with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant? It will be interesting. I'm trying to picture a scenario in which James Harden and Kyrie Irving fit together on the same floor on the same team. I had the same feeling about Russell Westbrook, and I think that while we prove, while they proved that those two guys are independently good, it was difficult for the two of them together to go very deep because they're both ball dominant. Kevin Durant could play with anybody. I think that trio would be real good. It would be the best big three in the NBA, but ultimately I think it's possible they could be limited in how far they could make it just because Kyrie Irving and James Harden may not be able to coexist on the floor at the same time. According to Caesar Sportsbook odds released last week, Giannis and Luka Doncic, co-favorites for the 2021 NBA MVP award, followed by Anthony Davis, then LeBron James. Daniel, would you bet on one of those players or someone different? Uh, I think I would bet on one of those players. I think Giannis and Luka are both going to be way up there, and I think that if Anthony Davis and LeBron James are both in the top four, then neither of them should be there because having two MVP candidates on the same team just means that that award doesn't actually mean MVP because the value bowl is then moot. 
The Lakers have reportedly agreed in principle to send Danny Green and a first-round pick to the Thunder for veteran point guard Dennis Schroeder. Guy with weird hair. That's what I remember about him. Justin, why did the Lakers make this move? Well, the Lakers think they're going to lose Rajon Rondo in free agency because he's going to demand more money than they can afford to pay. And I kind of understand this move in a way to get an extra ball handle on the floor besides LeBron. I'm just kind of sad as a Bar Heel fan to Danny Green go off of a team that I'm rooting for. And it feels kind of weird at first glance that they're going to trade a 3-and-D guy who would be like the deal fit to go with LeBron. But the way... Danny Green seemed to get a little bit worse as the playoffs went on last year. And then knowing that you really needed that second ball handler to come in and raise on Rondo, I can completely understand why the Lakers would want to make this move for Schroeder, who's been in the league. He's a veteran point guard, been in the league for around eight years now. Justin can't hear any of the sound effects, so that's why I did the, the buzzer along with that buzzer. Just for people. How, how smooth and seamless was that, by the way? It was I'm not... curious, mostly because I couldn't... I think it's because you're playing <laughs> the sound effects in the background, like the music bed. Yeah. I couldn't hear anything that you said except, like, little bits and pieces. Oh, no. <laughs> so when I, when I asked you the first question, I let you go on your answer. And then I knew when you got to my question, because I heard Ockets. <laughs> and then at the end, I'm hearing it, Irving... Durant and I was like boom okay I know that's my time I gotta go so I was just curious how we timed that was it good it was now knowing that that is what you were hearing that was darn near flawless nailed it yeah also <laughs> I I realized that I just I started the two minute drill intro and I was like oh Justin can't hear this at all um <laughs> hopefully he doesn't just start talking right now and then I realized that when it was your turn to talk, you would have no idea. So that's why I had to say, okay, go for it. Well, the difficulty is in not having a producer to <laughs> yes. handle the show for us. But I decided in that moment I was going to wait for a cue. And you gave me one. So it was perfect. I, I'm so glad that you we had that mind meld right there. Because we didn't communicate that at all. Any of these you want to touch on? I mean, I'm, I'm surprised. I thought Danny Green was a great 3 and D guy. I don't get why they're going for Sh- Schroeder? Schroeder? I, I believe that it's just to have another ball handler. And and Schroeder is, he's a good player. He can shoot from the outside too, but he just gives you that little extra dimension of, I mean, Danny Green, good at a couple of things, worthless as a ball handler. Okay. Um, and then, you know, as the playoffs went on, like I said, he shot like, less than 30% from three in the finals. He had two really terrible games. So I think people looking at it going, okay, well, if you're not even going to step up in the biggest spots, I don't think it was so much about getting rid of Green as knowing that, okay, we, we don't have Rondo now. The Lakers felt like they needed to fill that role, mm-hmm. and it, this seemed like the best way to do it. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. What do you think about uh, who the Port- who Portland should target in this very brief offseason season? Are you kind of lined up with what I'm thinking that, you know, maybe you shouldn't be trusting Melo for a whole season as the true wing player that you need? I, I do agree with that. Um, I think it would be nice to have a wing. I, I think it's nice that the Blazers are bringing back, like, almost the entire team from last year will be back again, and hopefully everybody will be healthy. 
at the same time, I always think like in the off season, yeah, you probably want to add a wing with the 16th pick in the NBA draft. You just want to hit on somebody. It almost doesn't man. It almost doesn't matter the position. Like you just want if you're if you're picking like one, two, or three, and you think, okay, well, we have this and this, and you want to fit somebody in who can be an impact right away. Then that kind of makes sense to me. But with the 16th pick, it's like whoever you bring in is probably not going to play a ton. Just look for like who you think is the biggest talent that's left on the board. So I wouldn't even really be surprised to see them pick up like another guard to add guard depth because, you know, two or three years from now, who knows if Simons is still going to be there. I think it'll be interesting to see who they go with. And I looked at like six different mock drafts earlier today. And they all have everyone picking different guys. Like, mock drafts don't even agree on the top three picks. They don't even agree on the top pick this year. <laughs> it's going to be an absolutely crazy draft. Just a crapshoot. I got to yeah. say, thinking about what you were just saying, it almost makes me think of when they did draft Anthony Simons because it was, it seemed like a situation where they were like, hey, we got a really deep pick here, so we're just going to pick purely on potential because all of the yeah. polish is, has been drafted way before now. And I know that this goes along with my biases, but I've seen a few different mocks that have Cole Anthony drown um, into that like mid to late teen range. And he was the point for the Tar Heels. And he is a absolute shot creator. Like he's not a guy that depends on anyone else to go get his shot. He goes and finds it himself. And I think because that's what Dame and CJ are that he would fit in really well in that rotation. Like it would be hard to spend a first round pick on somebody that you think they're not going to be a starter on our team, which is probably true. But at the same time, you can you you could feel secure that you know you have somebody there that could jump in and and fill in for the guys like Simons is good too, and I, and I feel good about Simons. He was a little bit disappointing last year. Yeah, I was really bummed with it. It seems like when they went to the bubble, they didn't really give him a shot at all. Yeah, that's true. He did, and he found himself out of the rotation for a lot of it. And that was also something that seemed weird to me is. When I was expecting a rotation rotation to be more important and more expanded, it seems like the Blazers shrunk theirs and went to less players yeah. for more minutes. And I thought that was really thought that was mismanaged throughout their playoff run. The only other player for the Blazers that I have half an eye on, and this would even be a guy that they could probably pick up in the second round, but they could go back to the Gonzaga big man well and get Killian Tilly. Okay. I mean, you don't. Interesting. I, I'm. I'm. He's, I think Whiteside's gone. I'm assuming Whiteside's gone. Um, his deal was expiring, and he's super expensive. So yeah. that would, you know, throw him down there with uh, team him up with Nurk and Collins and get a good three man rotation going. I could see that. I, I I don't know. Killian Tilly is not my favorite player. It seems like little nicks and bumps take him out of championship games, which uh, I don't <laughs> really appreciate. So I'm not sure if I'm the biggest Killian Tilly fan. I would have been more excited had they been able to get a one of the couple guys that they were that were coming out of Gonzaga last year. I do think the biggest story coming out of the NBA, and the, just in case anybody's wondering, people get mad sometimes when we talk about NBA. The draft is in a few days, and the free agent period's in a few days, and I think the biggest story is what happens with the Rocket Stars because now Russell Westbrook has all but demanded a trade, and who knows where he's going to end up. And the Rockets are also expressed their not necessarily interest but willingness to trade James Harden as well that's where this Nets thing comes from because apparently since Harden and Durant are friends and they played together on the Thunder they did workouts in the offseason and they talked about it with each other like what would it you know what would it look like do if we played so that'd be really interesting but 
I find it difficult to think that any star player would want to play with James Harden. Unless you're a guy who just strictly works off the ball, like a big man or something. It'd be difficult to think that you want to play with James Harden unless he's going to make a significant difference in the way he plays. Absolutely. And maybe that's what Durant's thinking his career is now after the injury. (laughs) He's like, look, I just want to spot up and chuck it. Well, and I do think that Durant has kind of proven, especially with the way he just worked in with the Warriors, with Steph and Clay. I think he really could play with pretty much anybody Mm -hmm. because his skill set doesn't demand – he can do ISO, and he's good at it. His skill set doesn't demand that he has the ball in his hands. We haven't seen Tarden without the ball in his hands constantly since back in the Thunder Sixth Man days. We have no idea if James Harden would actually still be a dominant offensive force if he – like basically a point guard. Exactly. I have this argument with Peyton all the time. Well, he'll – one of the conversations that will come up is, well, who do you think are the best point guards in the league? Well, we disagree about what a point guard is. Because to me, James Harden's a point guard. He's listed as a shooting guard, but he's a point guard. Mm. Luka Doncic is listed as a wing. He's a point guard. He yeah. handles the ball. Yeah. LeBron yeah. James is a point guard. Like These guys dominate the ball and they control the ball. So uh, it's hard for me to imagine a scenario where James Harden and Kyrie Irving, who are two both really ball-dominant guys coexist in a way that helps you get all the way to a championship nikola Jokic, point guard yeah basically <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't fall up the floor very often yeah that's, that's a good point all right justin you got uh you got some stump daniel to make my day even worse by the way we will get to football we will get to seahawks and uh andrew might have started a new segment by bringing back our overreaction of the week last week because how they played this week, it might not have been so much of an overreaction, and I think I might go at it again. But do, do you got some questions for me this week? I actually, it's just a question. The stat that I, I admitted, I'll admit I stole it from the Patrick show, but I thought it was really interesting. On Monday Night Football last week, Cam Newton rushed for multiple touchdowns for the ninth time in his career, which is an NFL record for quarterbacks. There are four quarterbacks who have rushed for multiple touchdowns seven times. That was in place seven times. I'm going to give you the first two because I don't think it would be reasonable to expect you to get them. And I'm going to, the ones that did after you were born, I'm going to have you guess those, okay? okay. <laughs> so Jack Kemp, who played for the Lions, Steelers, Chargers, and Bill in the 50s and 60s. Okay. That's the first name, which is a name that I've heard, but yeah. a player that I'm super familiar with. Yeah, I agree. The next one is Otto Graham. Oh, good old Otto Graham. Yeah, he played for the Browns (laughs) 40s and 50s, which, you know, you might have been able to pull that out of your butt, but it feels unreasonable (laughs) to ask you about a player who probably played before your parents were born. So I I skipped that one, and I'm just going to ask you, the two guys on this list, two other quarterbacks who rushed for multiple touchdowns seven in their career, and both of them have played since you've been born, Daniel, who are those two quarterbacks? Multiple touchdowns. Okay, so you were cutting out a little bit, and we are on Skype this week, and it is very annoying. So the question is, Cam Newton rushed for multiple touchdowns for the ninth time in his career? Correct. And I have to name the two quarterbacks who have done it seven times in their career that have been playing since I've been born. Yes. Okay, Uh, let's see here. Multiple touchdowns, seven games. You know, it's interesting. I would have thought that it would have been more than that. So that, I actually would have thought that, too. Yeah. So I was surprised when I heard it as well. Uh, let's go with, I mean, let's start with Michael Vick. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not correct. Really? 
Uh, that was the first guy that I would have guessed, though. Uh, shoot. Um, multiple rushing touchdowns seven times. Uh, I've got a couple of names rattling in my head. Uh, let's say Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is not one of them. Dang it. I'll give you three more guesses if you want them. Three, <laughs> three more guesses. Three more guesses. That seems like you got a lot. Five, five shots to get two guys. Uh, what's his name? Randall Cunningham? It's a good guess, but not correct. Darn it. Shoot. Um, let's see. Quarterbacks who run. Jake Plummer. <laughs> uh, no. And this is my first opportunity to say terrible guess. <laughs> Oh, I really wish that I could have seen your face when I guessed that one. Uh, Lamar Jackson. Oh, I'm sorry. That is not correct. A little too early in the career for that one to be true. That's what I was thinking. So this is interesting. I think for both of these guys, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So the first one, former 49er quarterback Steve Young. Ah, that does make sense. And a guy with the same first name. Former Tennessee Titans quarterback Steve McNair. Gotcha. That was solid. They both, yep. Uh huh. They definitely make yeah. more sense of guesses than uh, Jake Plummer. Jake Plummer. <laughs> <laughs> or, or Lamar Jackson because it's only like his second year. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's his third year. But yeah, no, I, I understand. I didn't want to hit you too hard with something that would really embarrass you this week because, you know, the Seahawks have lost three out of four, two in a row. They dropped from first in the division to third in the division they went from being the best team in the nfc to being the sixth the playoff started today so i figured you've suffered enough and i just want something kind of absurd oh just pour it on right don't you just keep bringing it up no 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 i'm being nice <laughs> oh oh okay <laughs> i appreciate that you're so sweet happy to help all right so with another amazing defeat horrendous loss Maybe I should just forfeit next time. That was miserable. Anyway, you wanted to get into college football a little bit. First of all, both of our wait did did UNC pull out the win this week? Yeah, weekend? they did. But you were you were not happy about it for a while during that game. Well, the defense is terrible, and they went through three full quarters of just god awful defense. It was like it really was like watching a soccer game. Where it felt like every time a guy caught the ball, they were within five yards of him. But they got down like I think it was twenty-four to forty-five at one point, and then they ended up coming back. And the defense came up with on five possessions, they only allowed one field goal. And the UNC offense is so good and it moves so quickly that they were able to come back and get the win. But I, I do know that our listeners don't really care about like a breakdown of a Tar Heels game. But I do think it's interesting to talk about like big picture and how some of these players fit in when they get to the NFL. And I was feeling it, but I think this past weekend solidified it for me. Sees quarterback Sam Howell, who is a true sophomore, I think is going to be next year's stink for Sam. Like we've got the, there was the oh, suck for luck. And it's going to be for suck Tua. for Sam. I, I think, yeah, well, it could be, you know, like you pointed out to me in our chat, media people aren't really creative when to this i thought since we already did suck for luck maybe they would go stink for sam <laughs> but um use tank more than once so it seems reasonable but either way i think that sam howell assuming that he continues to play the way that he has oh i know what they're freshman, gonna do they're gonna foul for howell <laughs> <laughs> i like it 
if they were creative, that's what they would come up with. Exactly. But they're not, so they won't. But Sam Howell broke school records with, I believe it was 550 yards and six touchdowns passing, which were both school records, and it was 30 yards shy of Deshaun Watson's ACC record for passing yards. And the Tar Heels needed every single one of them to come back in that game. He was just absolutely incredible. So... I'm going to say now on the record, I've been saying it off the record for a few weeks, I think Sam Howell is going to be the number one quarterback in the 2022 NFL draft. So after his junior season? After his junior season, he will go and he will be quarterback prospect. Dang. Bold take. I love it. The other guy on the heels that's really interesting to me, and I think every time I watch him play, I think, man, I really hope the Seahawks draft. They have two running backs that are really good. It's kind of a crash and dash situation. The better running back, in my opinion, is Javante Williams, and he would be the crash part of crash and dash. But he's also really fast. He actually kind of reminds me of Chris Carson with the way that he runs. I mean, Carson is like, he's kind of a version of Marshawn in the sense that, you know, Beast Mode and Chris Carson both run really hard and they're really hard to bring down. But Marshawn Lynch had such a unique running style with that split-legged running that not a lot of guys are a lot like him. But if you watch Javante Williams, if you watch his highlights, you'll be like, oh, man, that guy's like Chris Carson. Like, he goes in there. He's really hard to bring down. One guy almost never brings it down. Balance is so good. His lower body is so strong that he just fights through contact like crazy. But I was reading an article. I've been talking him up now for a few weeks, probably bugging you guys on our, our messenger group chat about Javante Williams. But I saw an article that projected him as the... By analytics, he's the number one running back, even over Clemson's Travis Etienne, that he could be the number one running back off the board in next year's draft. Well, that means that the Seahawks will not get him. They probably won't. Maybe they could trade up for him. See, this is my <laughs> trade thought. Trade up with this. what? Running they back. have nothing to trade. <laughs> they could trade eight seventh round picks. They could trade Jamal Over the next Adams. five years. They could trade Jamal Adams, except for he's always hurt, so nobody would want him. That's true. Well, anyway, I, I feel like I'm just one of the, I want to put it out there. Okay. I'll and Javante Williams because those are names you're going to know. Those guys are going to play on Sundays. I love it. You, I'm assuming you watched the Oregon game. A decent amount of the Oregon game. And I felt overwhelmingly like, I, I don't think this team is doing everything that it needs to to make a statement that with just seven games, they, de- they belong in the, in the play- in college football playoff. I think by the ESPN uh, chances, I saw they have odds for who has the best and worst chances to make it into the playoff. Oregon was sixth, but did you watch the Wazoo versus Oregon game? I did not. I'm looking at the the box score and some of the stats right yeah. now. I thought that Wazoo's quarterback, Jaden Delora, I believe is a freshman, is that right? Yeah, true freshman. He kind of made them look really beatable in a lot of ways. And I know, you know the discrepancy ends up being 43-9. to nine. Part of that was because Oregon had a really strong first quarter offense. But Jaden Delora made a few freshman mistakes, but most I thought, you know, if a really good quarterback went up, if a good team goes up against Oregon, I think they're going down. I'm not saying Washington State is not a good team, so everyone <laughs> calm down. But Oregon in seven games, they have to do so much to prove in this Pac-12 in the college football playoff with teams that are going to have 10 or 11 or maybe even 12 games on the schedule. You know, teams from the SEC and the ACC who are, at least by national perception, 
playing much stiffer competition. I don't think that Oregon's, Oregon went out and made enough of a statement in that game to get themselves firmly in the conversation for the college football playoff. I agree, and it's not like they're going to have too many chances to try and make that statement either. And one of the teams that I think people would look at as maybe a quality win for him would be UW. And I got to say, UW struggled against Oregon State. And I say that not to try and put my Oregon State Beavers down, but their quarterback's absolutely trash, and they still almost beat the Dogs. Yeah, I mean, UW probably is one that, I mean, they're 1 0, they're undefeated now, so congratulations, Huskies. <laughs> but also, if we're looking at USC, who is the only other team in the Pac 12 that's ranked, and two weeks in a row, they've had to make a comeback against an unranked opponent to win by, you know, I think it was one point against Arizona State and now four points against Arizona. So if you're Oregon, you're like, USC, come on, you got to make more of a statement here because when we beat you, it needs to look like more, and it's not. And so uh, I don't think you're seeing much from these Pac-12 teams, whether it's uh, USC or Washington, that is going to make them a quality victory for Oregon. Do you want to talk about your Beavers quarterback situation or do you want to talk about your Beavers team? Is there anything positive in Oregon State besides oh. the fact that you guys are the most likable fan base? Yes. Do you want to know what's positive? Our, I running, do. our running back is an absolute stud and he has been since he was a true freshman. He's a junior this year. And why they ever decide not to hand them the ball is question, is is bizarre. So he had 23 carries for 133 yards. So maybe it would be tough to give him the ball more, but I'd be fine with them letting him run for 30-plus times a game, especially since our quarterback threw 24 times and only had 85 yards. The quarterback, Tristan Jebbia, had way less yards per attempt than the running back did. It was so frustrating to watch. And I think the biggest frustration is, yes, this is only year three, but, Justin, in college football, year three is when you're starting to expect some things, right? Absolutely. So this is year three of Jonathan Smith coaching, and he's a quarterback. He's an offensive guy. He's a quarterback guy. If they don't have a quarterback at this point who he recruited who's better than this guy or at least another option to try out, then, I mean, I love Jonathan Smith. He is the maybe one of the most beloved Oregon State quarterbacks of the recent history and there's a lot of quarterbacks that are loved who are still playing in the nfl and are backups and had very successful college careers and yet jonathan smith was the one who saw the most success and took him into that fiesta bowl game where they just crushed notre dame and if you can't find a quarterback who can at least compete with this guy who was 11 for 24 for 85 yards and an interception and no touchdowns i mean justin i sent you the the screenshot of it, and you were like, wow, did you put that poop emoji next to his stats? Yeah, I thought you did. And no, Bleacher Report did. (laughs) (laughs) It was just a box score, and next to the quarterback's stats, there was a poop emoji. (laughs) Besides that, everything in the box score was completely normal. And then next to Jebbia's stats, there was just a poop emoji. (laughs) And I'm not sure if Washington's quarterback would have looked much better because he he was 14 of 24 for 141 yards. No touchdowns, no interceptions, too. So it's not like they did much of anything. But, man, Justin, when your leading receiver has two catches for 25 yards, that's not good. 
No, it's not good. And you're going up against a Huskies team like where I said last week, I have no idea what to expect from the Huskies. They don't have Peterson as their coach anymore. They don't have uh, an experienced quarterback or like a quarterback that's been really hyped up like it, like several of their recent ones have. And Dylan Morris came out, and I think from what I watched, he was just kind of okay. Um, the Huskies' running game was pretty good. And I, I, I mean, do you want to talk about the targeting call at the end and how that may have impacted things? Well, not just the targeting call. I mean, look at the play before that, the fourth down spot. I mean, yeah. holy crap, that was absolutely miserable. I mean, I it was this bad that on that play, first of all, on the third down play, I thought he got it. I thought he got the first down there. They, they spot him short. I'm like, okay, whatever. And then fourth down, he runs across the left side, and it looked so obvious to me that I stopped paying attention. Like, I, was, I went back to doing something else. I can't remember what I was doing while I was watching the game, but... I checked, like, I went back to what I was doing because I was like, all right, they got the first down. I'll look back up in a second. And then all of a sudden it was commercial break and UW was celebrating and I had no idea what happened. It's like, how is that not a first down? Yeah, there was definitely some questionable stuff that happened towards the end. And I think ultimately the targeting call, I don't know how much that really ended up affecting things because if I remember correctly, didn't the Beavers stop them on that drive anyway? No, they ended up getting in for the touchdown. Oh, they did end up getting in for a touchdown. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I mean, I just know that sometimes when I watch college football because they do these, like, five-minute-long targeting reviews. And I understand the rule of targeting, and I agree with it. But I think that it should have to be intentional and egregious for someone to be disqualified for targeting. Right. And at least in the case of the Oregon State defensive back, that was not the case at all. Yeah. I mean, he was coming from the side. The quarterback oh. is a runner at that point. It's like, does a, if a running back is running, is he going to get that same targeting call? I don't think that's the case, but he's running. He's running towards the end zone in the open field. I know that you could make the argument that that defensive back should have got down and hit him in the waist, but also, you know, you're trying to keep a position that if the quarterback adjusts or tries to juke or spin, that you could adjust with him. So I I think that one, um, that was a really difficult one for me to swallow. And I, I went on Twitter and looked at some stuff afterwards trying to get, like, a gauge for what people felt about it, and it was really split. Like, half the people are going... Oh, yeah, that's a textbook. He ear-holed him. He lowered the crown of his helmet. That's he, a textbook target. That was targeting. the thing I didn't agree with the most. He put his shoulder into him and blasted him down with his shoulder, and his helmet just kind of popped him as it was happening. Yeah. Well, I am 100% with you on that one. I think that should not have been targeting, and I feel more often than not targeting in college football is annoying to me. I understand why it exists and i like it to exist but i'd like to see them enforce it differently yeah i'm with you on that one and you're right they did end up stopping them but how it altered the game was as i mentioned oregon state's passing game was garbage and what that did was that would have ended the drive with about three minutes and 15 seconds left or three minutes left exactly and instead they ended up kicking the field goal with a minute 45 left and Which, when you have a quarterback that's garbage, the, <laughs> that has uh, a poop emoji a half, next to his stuff, means that you can run the ball a little bit. And you couldn't run the ball because when you got it back, all you could do was pass. That's all you had time for. Exactly. When your quarterback has a poop emoji next to his stats, you need more time. <laughs> uh, well, we got more 
we have more college football coming up after this, actually, and then we'll get into your, your favorite Seattle sports, but I think you'll enjoy the college football update that we have coming up after the break, so make sure you stay tuned. And again, thank you to, to the law office of Jeffrey A. Damashevitz for sponsoring Stump Daniel. I forgot to mention that earlier, but maybe it's just because I lose everything that comes in with, uh, with Stump Daniel. But yeah, we're going to get to more after this break. Do you have a legal situation and need someone on your side? Let the law office of Jeffrey A. Domashevitz be your advocate. If you've been the victim of medical malpractice, suffered a personal injury, or need representation with real estate law, small business law, or estate planning, let Jeff Domashevitz put his 29 years of experience to work for you. Call Jeff Domashevitz today at 360-612-3991 or visit domashevitzlaw.com. That's D-A-M-A-S-I-E-W-I-C-Z-L-A-W.com. All right, thank you again to our sponsors, the Law Office of Jeffrey A. Damashevitz and Oli Penn Real Estate. And now it is time for our Oli Penn Real Estate Athlete of the Week. And Justin, I'm really excited that uh, that you said it was okay to do this because it's hard to find historical athletes every week, especially when I've already felt, I felt like I've done a, a hundred of these things. What's really nice is we do have a former Harbor athlete who is playing college football and you have given me permission to make this kind of, until we have some sort of sports going on and and more to talk about, we can kind of make this a Joel DeBlanco update section of the of every show. Well, I love it, and it's meaningful to me because, you know, I know you and I, Daniel, we've talked about how to think. Okay, you're going to have to start. All, you're going to have to start all of that all over again because it got pretty much cut out. So just start that again. Okay, can you hear me now? Yeah. Good. Okay. You and I have talked a lot about how important it is to both of us that we use whatever platform we have to help encourage high school athletes to achieve at the highest level and encourage them that, hey, you can go on to the next level. So, like, whenever we get to talk about someone who has moved on to either college sports or pro sports. And it's really cool to me when we have to cover these guys who have played, who have played high school football in our area. And then they go on to something that's greater like college football or pro sports or, or something of that nature. And now we have Joel DeBlanco who is playing division one college football for the undefeated Cincinnati Bearcats. They're ranked seventh in the nation. And, and he's one of defense and he again um, was among the team leaders in tackles with five I think watching this game on Friday night it was nationally televised on ESPN2 I I got to really get a good feel for how they use him so they have him in on first and second down basically all the time sometimes he comes out on third down but most of the time he's playing middle line but they also use him in pass rush quite a bit and he had quarterback hurries and one of them he had the quarterback in his grasp and if he had gotten there a quarter of a second faster he would have gotten him but to me the most fun part of this game since i was watching just to watch joel was a fake punt he's in there as punt protection and he grabs the fake punt he grabs the snap he runs 29 yards with it and i was like oh dang i know he's huge and strong i forgot how fast joel is and he took off down the field for a first down and they're gonna go ahead and fake it cincinnati has a first down off a fake punt up 42 to 10. that that definitely is a sign that they weren't happy about last year and maybe just maybe as we were talking about they want to put the nation on notice 
the linebacker gets a long run for himself. And it's first down Cincinnati when we come back. Bearcats have some spunk. Yeah, so that was Joel Blanco on his big 29-yard run there for the first down. Now, Justin, that, that play has also kind of made national headlines, too, because... Cincinnati was up pretty big at the time, and they go for it on fourth down. And you know what? If it's a high school game, I'm like, okay, what are you doing here? You have a big lead. What's up with the fake punt? Even in a pro game, I'm I'm like, ah, that's a little weird, but I don't really care that much because they're pros. Now, college is very interesting because college, you get to the playoffs on a ranking system that comes from votes, that comes from half of the people not having a clue how those points were scored, and they're just looking at box scores. So, yeah, they have to put up as many points as freaking possible to try and get into that college football playoff as a non-Power 5 conference team trying to make the top four teams in the country. And I did see suggested on Twitter, some people thought that maybe East Carolina, because East Carolina had two separate players disqualified for targeting calls earlier in the game. So that people thought maybe the Cincinnati coach was going, well, fine, you're going to target my guys. Guess what we're going to do? We're <laughs> going to run a fake punt on fourth down in the fourth quarter. Um, but I really I think your your line of thinking is more on track. The Bearcats are on the outside looking in of the college playoff right now. And there's only so much they can do because they don't have a really high quality strength of schedule. They have to kick the crap out of everyone. So every point matters for Cincinnati. I absolutely agree with that. And you're right. Joel had a great game. That was an absolute blast to watch. It would have been sweet if he would have hurdled that last guy and gone for another 40 yards, but a massive 29-yard carry, and it reminded me of watching him rumble in high school games around here. Absolutely, because whether it was when he was playing quarterback when the team ran out of quarterbacks and he had to go for a run, or he played fullback too, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, we've seen him carry the ball. And I really, I, in that moment, I thought, I've been looking at Joel thinking. So a lot of times when, he, when we have Harbor athletes that go on to play at the next level, they get out there on the college field and they look kind of small. But I had that experience with Joel. I look at him and he's freaking massive. And I have it on good authority that he has recently benched 350 pounds. So the kid is strong. I just flat out forgot how fast he was. But out there on the college field and moving like he was for that 29-yard run, I was just floored by that. It was so cool. Yeah, it was a blast to watch. And you mentioned that their strength of schedule, not great. So they are going to have to destroy teams. The good thing is is they have been destroying teams. They Their smallest margin of victory came against Army, who was ranked 22nd at the time. They won 24-10. to 10. They then also have played ranked opponent SMU, which they won 42-13. to They were ranked 16th at the time. And all they have left is UCF, uh, Temple, and Tulsa. And Tulsa is currently ranked number 25. So that might be a decent win for them as well. But only three games left. And you're right, Justin. They're looking to demolish everyone they play. So far, they're doing it. And, you know... It's going to be really hard for them to make it into the college football playoff. I think if you extended it to six teams, they would they would easily be in. I agree, assuming they win out. They need some of these big conference teams to falter down the stretch. So, you know what? I'm all in for Joel. That's what I'm rooting for. I don't care what else happens. 
I agree. I'm all in with that as well. So that is our Oli Penn Real Estate Athlete of the Week with our Joel DeBlanco update as he is playing for the undefeated Cincinnati Bearcats who are trying to make a push to make it into the college football playoffs this year. So we are going to definitely be rooting for Joel all the way and giving you updates every week on how he has performed and how his team is doing as they're trying to make that playoff run. All right, Justin, the Mariners had some award winners this year, and uh, it's kind of exciting. I mean, I know the, the season didn't work out as quite as maybe we'd hoped for maybe picking up one of those extra playoff spots, you know, if you wanted that to happen or not. But it seems like outside of the record, everything that you could hope for from this season actually happened and it's proving with some of the awards that some of those young players have have received well there was a couple of gold gloves it was jp crawford and evan white is that right yes we had those two gold gloves and i think especially meaningful probably for Evan. guess because he struggled a bit at the plate and the defense his defense was really his big utility to the team so to see him win that gold glove was a little extra meaningful but the rookie of the year is a huge award and you only have one shot to win it in your career. So it's, it's extra meaningful. And I know Daniel, you had said that you were learned that maybe the voters wouldn't view it the right way and that maybe he wouldn't get it, but Kyle Lewis won it unanimously. So I'm most interested in what you think about the fact that Kyle Lewis won this award. I think that he really garnered more respect and notoriety than I thought he had. Cause there was, there's a couple other rookies, one that was just hitting massive home runs. And sometimes, I mean, you know, like those those old commercials, what, the, what were they? Chicks dig the long ball. And I think oh, yeah. voters kind of dig the long ball. And that guy was just hitting massive bombs. And I thought everybody was going to kind of glom onto that. But I was completely wrong because all they took notice of all of the things that Kyle Lewis did that led Major League rookies in those stats. And I was just really excited that they recognized that it wasn't just about hitting home runs and striking out. Well, while Kyle did have a lot of home runs, that wasn't all he did. So that that brings up the next question to me. We've talked a lot this year about Jared Kelenic and what the prospects are for the Mariners going forward. Kelenic will be a true rookie next year. Daniel, what do you think the chances are? that the Mariners could have back-to-back rookies of the year, and am I jinxing it by saying this out loud? Uh, you might be, but I'll let you do it. I'll, I'll allow it because that would be so exciting to see back-to-back. The, it's going to be tougher for him, though, because he won't have any experience over double-A ball, I don't think, unless they start him in triple-A. But I think that he would have a big chance of being really frustrated if they did that, to be honest. I think they should have brought him up at the end of this year, and I think he was frustrated because of that. Uh, he had a couple of Twitter posts that uh, seemed a little upset by the fact that he didn't get to come up and play at the end of the year, and that was the benefit that Kyle Lewis had before this full rookie season of his. He got to come up at the end of the pre- prior season and really dominate and and get his confidence up so he could kind of hit the ground running this year, whereas Kelnick won't be able to do that. So... I don't know. I think he's got a chance, though, because I think he's the type of player that needs as little boost of confidence as possible. I think he's got so much built-in confidence in himself 
that I think he's just going to come into a league and assume that he's going to succeed. And I think he's talented enough to actually put up some good numbers. Well, I know where I stand on this because I think sometimes clubs keep guys down to um, have the extra year of club control, even if they're ready. And I hate that. Yep. Um, I would have really, I, if if the Mariners felt like Jared Kellenick was ready, I would have liked them to bring him up from the beginning of the season. I would like to see what he could do because, you know, smell you later, right? But um, <laughs> exactly. I, <laughs> I feel like this season, well, this season was so weird. Like, 60 games... It's less than a third, or actually a little bit more than a third of what the season would normally be. And I think I even heard an interview with Kyle Lewis where he kind of spoke to that because he ended the season on a slump. He wasn't playing very well. And he said, well, I think he was realistic about it. Like, you know, I think it's unrealistic to expect someone to play at the same level that I played at the beginning of the year for a whole year. And I think if it had been a 162-game season, you would have seen highs and lows and highs again and lows again. But to me, Kyle Lewis stands out because he is not only – it's not only what he does at the plate. I mean, it's what he does in the field. You know, he's a center fielder. He plays one of the most challenging positions. He did it really well. He even robbed a home run. And when asked the question, would you rather hit a home run or rob the home run, he came up with the correct answer, which was you absolutely rob the home run. Oh, right? yeah. So, <laughs> that plate comes around well, so much less often. Exactly. But he did say – he said it kind of depends on how you do it. Like if you're just kind of standing at the wall and you reach up and you get it and it's not that great, then maybe that's not as cool. But if you do it where you're on a full sprint and you jump and it's way over the wall and they, that guy thinks he's got a home run and you just bring it back, then, oh, yeah, that's the play. <laughs> that is awesome. I love that so much. That is, Justin, that's the one thing that I've never done on a baseball field or a softball field or any field. You've I done everything else on a baseball field? Um, have you pooped on a baseball field? I knew that you were going to go something non-baseball. The way you said that, I was like, he's going to say something absolutely outrageous right now. That was about as appropriate as I can keep it. You're welcome. <laughs> I appreciate that. So should we finally get to the Seahawks game? Should we take, I feel like maybe we need a break before we get to the Seahawks. Let's do it. All right. We're going to take a timeout. Not what the Seahawks are good at doing. Because they take them randomly and for no apparent reason. The team of realtors at Olipen Real Estate wish you and your family good health during this stay home, stay safe time. Their team has health and safety measures in place to protect you and everyone involved in the process. If you're thinking about selling your home, now is a great time. There are more buyers than available homes. Many homes are still receiving multiple offers and are selling for above asking price. OliPen Real Estate will help you put the most money possible in your pocket in less time without the hassle. Visit sellmyharborhome.com to get your home market ready. The OliPen team is ready to work for you. Justin, I know you couldn't hear that commercial that I just played, but were you dancing how you normally do? I was, yeah. How did you know? <laughs> I'm psychic. <laughs> oh, man. So... As you mentioned earlier in the show, the Seahawks have lost three out of their last four games. And Justin, my overreaction, I say with the air quotations next to my head, maybe doesn't seem like that much of an overreaction where I said that everything is broken. People have figured out how to stop the Seahawks. Their defense is trash. And Russell Wilson is not going to win the MVP this year because it looks bad. 
that happening two weeks in a row makes me worried that that might actually be true. It might be true, and it is two weeks in a row, but it's also the Seahawks are 6-3, and three, and in all three losses, Russ has three-plus turnovers. Like, there's a correlation to be made there. You know, we've spent years, at least the last couple years, saying Russ keeps being the reason why they win. Like, it's not his fault when they lose. He's the reason why they win. And all of a sudden, things are kind of shifting to where, like, okay, well, I think the Seahawks lost today because Russ was not good. And at times, he was flat out bad. Like, when he chose to, instead of take the eight yards of running that were in front of him, to lob a ball out to the corner of the end zone, and maybe it was because of the camouflage of the blue jersey and the blue end zone that he couldn't see the defender there, but the defender just jumped in front of it for an easy interception. These are the kind of mistakes, like, we we have tended, thus, but, like, Seahawks fans in general have tended to make a lot of excuses for Russ in the rare instances that he makes mistakes. These mistakes are becoming the problem. Not the only problem, but the biggest problem. Today, you cannot come out and say the Seahawks lost because the defense was bad. It's flat out not true. The Seahawks lost because Russ couldn't come through when they needed him to. I absolutely agree. And yet, one of the biggest decisions in the game, I think, was incorrectly made because... The defense has been historically bad all season, and it actually proved to be one of the touchdown drives that they did have, and that is when the Seahawks didn't go for it on fourth and a couple of inches, and that is when the Rams had one of their super long drives that ate up the clock and put a touchdown on the board, but you're right, overall, they only gave up 23 points. Maybe that's not great to say, but in this day and age, 23 points isn't bad, and it's one of the best best games that this Seahawks defense has had and I would like to point out that yeah the defense did come up towards the end of the game they came up kind of big they made some plays but a lot of the times that they stopped the Rams because in the beginning of the games were the Rams were absolutely unstoppable on third down well then as the game got a little bit further you know Goff would make a bad throw or they had a drop on a third down that killed a drive they hadn't we had another one where Jordan Brooks came in and made a fantastic individual play coming out of nowhere and breaking up a third down ball. Like those are the kind of things that you can't count on happening. Like those are the kind of things that happen as a way for us to be able to get you back into the game. They're not the kind of things that are going to happen consistently. So I felt like, yeah, the defense was better and they did come up in some spots that you needed them to, but they all got kind of lucky. So the Seahawks did, they got kind of lucky with some of the, things that happened while they were on the defensive side of the ball towards the end of the game so it is concerning moving forward that now when your defense does what you need them to do we've watched the script a hundred times we've watched the defense do what they need to do towards the end of the game and Russ come back and win well the missing part of that equation was Russ come back and win um Daniel you mentioned the fourth down call I hated it that they didn't go for it on fourth and inches I was excited first of all they blew a timeout there yep. by challenging a ball spot when not only is a ball spot a terrible thing to challenge, yep. it was also the right call. Like, he actually was short on that play. Exactly. But you challenged something that was stupid to challenge, and then you came back out, and I thought, okay, well, the Seahawks can get six inches. Maybe a Russ quarterback sneak, or maybe you just turn around and hand it to Collins. But they can get six inches. 
But they didn't do that, and they punted it away, and it was incredibly frustrating. You needed every opportunity to score at that point. Absolutely, and instead they punted away, and I said this multiple times in the game, Justin, that punt is now meaningless because after two plays, the the Rams had gotten out to nearly where they punted from. And so that punt then means nothing because the field position meant nothing because they already are are out to where you would have been likely after a fourth down play. So it's just it's pointless and I'm going to I'm going to pop some sound in here cuz Pete Carroll talked about it and I can't disagree with him anymore. Why did you opt to just go out and try to catch them offside instead of just going for it with it being such a short conversion the way the defense struggled early? I didn't want to give them a foot that early in the, in the game when there was so much going on and so many opportunities, I don't want to give them the ball to 40 yard line. That's a turnover. That's just like you just handed them an interception if you don't make it. If they penetrate and make a play in the backfield and, and get you out, knowing that Mike, you'll kick the ball inside the 10 yard line and do something good with that, we'll go ahead and play defense. That's believing that we're going to be all right. There's times when you go for it, you know, when maybe don't all add it, it, the logic doesn't add up the same. But in that one right there, it was too early in the game. I was believing in our guys that we're going to pull it off and, and have plenty of time to get back and play, play well. Uh, and I didn't want to give them a turnover right there, and I just felt like it wasn't worth it. Uh, one more thing. The logic of saying because we're such a high-scoring team, you should go for it right there doesn't fit in my brain. I, I don't understand that. That, that really isn't the – that's not really the, the case right there, you know. And, and uh, it's really about playing the game more than, than the potential of our play and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they, the players would love to go for it. I know that. And I'd love to go for it too. But it's, so I have to work against my nature to go ahead and kick that ball right there. But, you know, I, I would probably do it the same way again. Yeah, just to continue on that, uh, I think the logic is that maybe it comes off like you don't trust your offense to get a couple of inches where you are putting faith in a defense that has given up more yards than any team in football this year. So what's the difference maybe of giving up a a potentially 40-yard field and an 80-yard field um, when they did go back and and march down the field? So I I guess do you – are you putting too much faith in a defense that hasn't earned it to this point? Uh, Joe, I don't know. You, you know, you can say that, but uh, I'm just playing the game, and the game there wasn't. It wasn't worth giving them the football as well as they had done in the first half. Uh, there, you know, I didn't mind giving them the ball inside the ten yard line, and uh, we'll go play defense back there. I just thought it was there's too many opportunities to give them that advantage. What if what if they took the ball and went down and scored right there? Then then the game feels like it's lopsided and you're way you're way behind it. So uh, that wasn't that didn't factor in. I wish we could have gone for it, made it on third down. We missed it by an inch. Yeah, yeah I guess the counter would be they, they did go down and, and score that touchdown, and they already had a 90-yard touchdown drive in the game. Sure. Uh, but that but but think about it. No, you know, uh, you don't think they're going to score every time you get the football. They scored one time in the second half. That was it. Well, you know, and I think uh, after the Seahawks were at their 5-0 and start, and it felt like, yeah, maybe things hadn't gone perfectly. The defense was bad, but, you know, Russ was going to come through every single week. We went through and we did our picks about what, we thought the Seahawks were going to end up at and I picked 11 and five and I was being a little pessimistic, but I picked 11 and five, not because I thought <laughs> Russ wouldn't come through. You were being I picked pessimistic. 11 and five because I thought, yeah, Russ is really good. He's the MVP, but this defense is terrible. And so it's a little discouraging to look at um, what Russ was able to do out there on the field. And it's hard to not think that people might have figured out what the formula is to beat him while he's cooking. Like, when the Seahawks run their actual balanced offense, it kind of hides some of what the deficiencies we've seen. But when the Seahawks go twice as many passes as they do runs and everything's on Russ and then other teams blitz the crap out of him and he gets hit a lot, he looks different. 
He's fidgety. He looks scared. He doesn't make plays in the same way that he does when he's protected by the fact that the Seahawks run the ball. So, I mean, we've been saying for the last few weeks that, yeah, this is really cool that Russ is playing well, but maybe you should run the ball a little bit more. And that's where I am right now. I agree. And like Andrew says, why run a play that's not play action? Because it seems like every time there's one that's not, he is either doing that weird ducking finicky move or he's just getting blasted because there's no time or he thinks there's no time or it's I, I think I'm starting to agree more with Andrew that you have to run play action on like every single pass play because it really does seem to make a difference. Russell 22 for 37 for only 248 yards and two interceptions, no touchdowns. What the actual crap just happened did we watch and 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 is it is it that byproduct like I mean, 37 passes, that's a lot, but that's not a massive amount. They did, I mean, Collins, no, you're right. They only had, gosh, because Russell didn't run on called run plays eight times. I don't think he ran on any called run plays. So I, so you're right. They only had 14 called run plays in this game. That's I don't yeah. think that's enough, especially in a game that was close the entire game. Like, you cannot... It doesn't make sense to me that you can only run 14 times called runs in this game when it was never out of reach. Like, you can never tell me that this game was at a point that you couldn't mix in the run game more. They could have and they should have. To me, I still feel like it just doesn't change the way that Russ looked. Like, there was something about the way he had no poise in the pocket. He was bailing early. There was one play where there was a rusher coming off the edge. And he just, like, ducked down and moved forward into the pocket right into another guy. And it was like he did it a full half second before the person even got to him. Like, throw the ball. You had time. Throw the ball. So there's something about Russ, and I I don't know if it's because he got hit more times last week than any other quarterback has all year, which is true. He did. But he just did not look like himself. So... When I reflect on my thoughts sacked. on... He was sacked six times in this game, too. So Well, and, you know, some of that is his fault. Yeah. Some of that is because he doesn't get the ball out. And it's hard to watch the broadcast and say that it's all his fault because I don't know what's happening downfield. But if there's a blitz, there needs to be a hot read. If there's not a hot read, then something is wrong in your play call. Exactly. And the other thing is... <sighs> How DK Metcalf has four targets and for the majority of this game had zero. And you, I don't get how you don't give him opportunities, especially in those situations, as you mentioned, Justin, when there's blitzes. Because that means that he probably is one-on-one with Ramsey and you need to give him a freaking shot at it. Like, the yeah. and it became the most obvious to me when... They mentioned that DK Metcalf comes out for a breather, and they put in Penny Hart, who's literally the lowest receiver on the depth chart, and the first play, and Russ chucks it up to him, single coverage against Ramsey. If I was DK Metcalf and I saw that, I would have freaked out. I would have gone into the huddle and been like, what the heck, man? Don't ever put my name in your mouth about how you think we're going to be one of the best duos ever if you don't give me a shot. All game, I come out, and the first thing you do is chuck it deep to that guy? Like, what are you talking about? I try really hard to have perspective. 
because I have zero I respect like for Justin. I have overreactions. Yeah, no, it, that's fair, <laughs> and I think it's justified based on what's happened. I mean, we've watched the Seahawks go from undefeated five and zero, you know, the number one team in the NFC, to the number six team in the NFC, and third place in your own division, tied with record, but also having lost to both of those teams. I think okay, I knew that the division was good. I knew that the Seahawks' defense is garbage, and they still weren't good in this game. They clutched up in some spots that should have helped at least give Russ an opportunity to win, but they weren't good. In the beginning of the game, it was just normal Seahawks. Like, everything was way too easy. I I think I, I predicted they would split in the division. Now they've lost to Arizona and to the Rams on the road. They have to play Arizona and the Rams again, but they'll get them at home. So maybe those games will go differently. I predicted they'd lose to the Bills. That's happened. I also predicted that during the next stretch after they play the Cardinals next week, they're gonna, they have a stretch of four terrible teams they're going to play. I predicted they'd lose one of those games. Finish at 11-5. and five. So if I'm going by my own logic, I should feel really good about where the Seahawks are right now. <laughs> but I don't. Because they didn't lose the way that I thought they would. I would have thought that if the defense could come through and give Russ chances to win, that he would do it. So now I feel bad. Yeah, I am right there with you. I predicted that they would go 13-3. and I did not think that they would lose the Bills game. I did predict that they would lose this game against the Rams. And then I think I had them losing another game, you know, another division game later in the season. But they, they do have some really cruddy teams coming up. The problem is, Justin, is they play the Cardinals on Thursday night. That's not even yeah. much time for them to get healthy because I think another thing that you got to look at is, man, th- when you look at the, the inactives that the Seahawks are putting up, you don't usually see five out of six of the inactives before a game be starters. And That's true, and, and they were missing their starting center, and they had multiple bad snaps in the game. Yeah, and you you know what I heard what they said after the game? They said that the backup center who was in was playing with a pretty bad ankle sprain for most of the game and just toughing his way through it because they basically didn't have anybody else. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. So maybe that is why Russell looked terrified every time he took a snap, but you got to call the, da- the game differently if that's the case because you got to be telling him, all right, Get the ball out, run the ball, you know, give them some opportunities. Well, hosting line or hosting Arizona on Thursday is going to be good for our show because then we can record whenever we want. Oh, that's, that's a awesome. good point. I like that. That'll be yeah. nice. And speaking <laughs> of speaking of good for our show, let's move on. Are you ready to move on to the mailbag? Have we, have we ranted enough about the Seahawks and their and their issues? Yeah, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah, I'm down. I'm down for that. What what do we got in the mailbag? Uh I'm not sure if you've seen it, but Francis started just going off on Facebook there after that Seahawks game. Apparently he doesn't like Troy Aikman. I'm not sure if you saw any of those comments. I saw it, and it's actually a Seahawks fan thing to not like Troy Aikman. I personally don't. I mean, Is Francis I a Seahawks fan? I thought Francis was a, was a Bears fan. You're right. He's a Bears fan. Yeah, he's a Bears fan. So, uh, so that's I, I unbiased, so that means that he's right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why he hates Aikman so much. Aikman is a little bit annoying. I thought uh, 
I had an I enjoyed an opportunity to laugh at Joe Buck when he called DK Metcalf DK Madgaff <laughs> early in the game. Yes. Um, but I have this question that uh, Francis sent us on Saturday, and this apparently he sent it to us during the Michigan game. And the reason that I brought this in was because it's a person that we're familiar with, Jim Harbaugh, who used to coach the 49ers at yes. the height of the Seahawks 49ers um, rivalry. Yes. So Francis says, is Jim Harbaugh going to make it to the half? He <laughs> notes that it was 21 to nothing at the 11 mark, 11 minute mark of the second quarter. And then he goes, oops, nope, now it's 28 to nothing. <laughs> Is Jim Harbaugh going to make it to the half as head coach? Now, I would point out Michigan lost to Wisconsin 49-11 on Saturday to drop to 1-3 on the season. Wow. They also lost to in-state rival Michigan State in Week 2, and that currently is the Spartans' only win of the season. So it's (laughs) not like they lost to Michigan State and Michigan State was good. They lost to Michigan State and Michigan State is bad. So by the law of transitive property, including the fact that Michigan three they also lost to a bad team so they're bad as well yes so daniel do you think that jim harbaugh is going to be fired as coach of the michigan wolverines yes absolutely i do and if you're fired from isn't that his alma mater yeah yeah that's never a good sign (laughs) so we'll see which uh where he lands after that i'm not sure but he'll probably have to do his fair share of working his way back up before he gets another head coaching opportunity it's a really interesting situation here because one thing that Jim Harbaugh hasn't done as a coach is fail. He's generally done pretty well wherever he went, whether it was Stanford or the 49ers. He tends to succeed, and then people just don't like him because he's kind of a jerk hole. So he wears <laughs> out his welcome, and then he ends up getting like, you know, shoved out of town even though he's successful. So this is different. Um. I think this is interesting because I feel like this year is so weird, especially in college football, with all the people who have either chosen not to play or couldn't play because of COVID, and you have shortened seasons, and it's hard for me to think that coaches should have their destiny decided based on this season, but this also isn't just a this season problem. Like, Jim Harbaugh... He's lost to Michigan State before. He hasn't beat Ohio State in his entire tenure at Michigan, and that's your number one rival. Like you got to go beat those team, that team. At the same time, what makes this doubly interesting to me is that Jim Harbaugh makes a buttload of money, and he still has another year on his contract, and the buyout for his contract is reportedly about $10 million. <sighs> so in a time where college athletic departments at the highest level are struggling for money because they can't make money off their college football because they can't have fans and all this stuff. It might be bad optics. It might seem a little irresponsible to pay a $10 million buyout to your coach when he still has one year left on his deal. I would say if I were a betting man, I think Jim Harbaugh is going to coach to the end of this contract and then be dismissed. Wow. That would definitely be something that I think would be the product of the financial issues due to COVID. I, I really yeah. do. Uh, I got to say, I was as I was watching the game, the Oregon State game, I was not only me- messaging you, Justin, which was weird. I wasn't only messaging you and Andrew. Uh, I have a beaver ally rooting for them along with me this season. 
and that is Francis. Interesting. And I, I didn't see that coming. So I, I'm sorry, Francis. I know I, I briefly mentioned and referenced earlier in this show about how Jonathan Smith was the quarterback when your beloved Notre Dame team got got killed in the Fiesta Bowl. I apologize for that because it, it was nice having you rooting with me against the Huskies and for the Beavers the, uh, the other night, <laughs> Saturday night. That was that was kind of fun. Have another another set of eyes watching the game and, and rooting for the Beavers. I'm sorry we couldn't get it done. But, you know, was, I got to say, I was pleasantly surprised by that. Well, as we wrap up the show, I know, Daniel, you and I have both had separate times where we have uh, just been under a barrage of bullets from Francis with his questions and <laughs> yes. he attacks us because it's really fun. Yes. They really have a good time together. I had been doing a lot of thinking this week and if I may allow myself to be vulnerable for a moment, I have thought a lot about how important it is for everyone to use their whatever opportunities they have to be a positive impact on the world. And I mentioned before on this show that I'm a delivery driver. And full disclosure, Francis is a delivery driver as well. We do the same job. We work together. I, I have to say that Francis is the example that I would hold myself to for what it is to have a positive impact on everyone you come in contact with. He's the guy who, as your delivery driver, is going to notice that your garbage cans are empty and he's going to roll them up the driveway for you. He's the guy who's going to notice that you've got a dog who's blind and go out there and give your doggy a treat. Like, th this is a guy who goes around day to day trying to have a positive impact on everyone he meets. I think to myself all the time that I just want to aspire to be that. Like, I want to have some kind of a positive impact on the world in every little way I possibly can. So as much fun as we have with Francis and as much as we battle with him, I want our listeners to know... This is all in good fun, and we love him, and that I respect him a great deal. Wow, I'm. Uh, that's that's really good, and uh, I really want to aspire to be that as well. That's that's really cool, and I was kind of expecting you to have some sort of punchline about how terrible of a person you are instead at the end of that, but no, I just, <laughs> I I really appreciate that, and uh, yeah, absolutely all in fun and. I still haven't met Francis, but I feel like we're starting to become friends just through this. I mean, especially now that we're messaging each other during Beavers games. <laughs> I never thought that. Yeah, would be you know Francis, did you know Francis is a grizzly too? You guys have a lot in common. I had no idea. What the heck? <laughs> that's awesome. All right, well that's going to do it for our show today. Sorry for all of the struggles with the Skype and things getting glitchy and me maybe editing all, all the mistakes. Who knows? I might just leave it all in, but it, we'll see how it goes, <laughs> <laughs> including uh, some some issues that I'll get to here in a second. But I just want to say thank you for listening to The Scrimmage. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Subscribe to us on YouTube. And when you watch the videos, uh, thank you so much, by the way, for watching some of the videos lately. Hit that uh, like and subscribe button on there. That would be very handy to us because the more people that do that the more people actually see the videos that'd be cool um but that's going to do it for us today so for my co-host justin the emergency pee break damashevitz and my co-host daniel the president of the russell wilson haters fan club <laughs> hargrove am i a fan of the haters what's going on there i'm not sure and for our producer andrew the absentee producer gross you've been listening to the scrimmage